This podcast is brought to you by Church Society, a fellowship contending to reform and renew the Church of England in biblical faith. You'll find more information about Church Society and all the things that we do on our website, churchsociety.org. You'll also find there the full archive of the podcast. Great. Well, welcome to this week's episode of the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark. I am the Associate Director of Church Society and I'm talking with Chris Moore, who is the Director for Wider Church Engagement. Is that right, Chris? Do you know, to be quite honest, Ros, I'm not entirely sure what my job title is, but it's some combination of those words. Yes, exactly. You can decide for yourself whether you're in a a wide church or a broad church, but whatever it is, we are engaging uh, with it um, in various ways. And one of the ways in which uh, Chris does that and that I also am involved in is being a member of General Synod. Um, So in this episode of the podcast, we're just going to be talking a little bit about what's coming up at the General Synod meeting this week. Uh, For the first time that I can remember, and I think maybe the first time ever, the London session of uh, General Synod is happening over a weekend. So it is Friday Mm -hmm. through till Tuesday. We are invited to give our feedback uh, on how well that works. I I am suspicious that the feedback may not be entirely positive, but we shall see. So we've got five days. Uh, what is coming up, uh, Chris, on the agenda? We've had the agendas and the, the paperwork. What's coming up that's caught your eye? Well, I suppose um, I think what will catch the headlines, at least, would be uh, the next instalment of uh, LLF, the Prayers of Love and Faith, and where we may or may not be going with all of those. And uh, people will recall that we had two bishops who were uh, between them were going to lead a reset in the way that we would handle LLF and it'll be showing that the two sides of the debate can work together with these bishops in a way forward and within about a week of that uh, one of those two bishops had resigned so that's a kind of portent in its own uh, way so the remaining bishop uh, the bishop bishop martin will be bringing forward a series of commitments and a kind of state of play paper Uh, on the prayers of love and faith, which is quite useful in one way because it actually puts into writing um, various things that people have been saying and suggesting may or may not have happened. So we've got that there. But it also, I think, highlights that I would say almost the impossibility of the task that we have. I mean, essentially, we're trying to say as a church and as a synod, at least, that something can be both true and not true at the same time. And that's um, that's a difficult thing to pull off. So... We'll have that, and then there's lots of other bits and bobs that'll come up. Uh, but I'm sure that most of that is pretty. I well, you never know, but I hope pretty uncontroversial. But I'm sure the prayers of love and faith are on people's minds. I'm sure they are. So, uh, as I said, we're meeting from Friday till Tuesday. The LLF uh, sessions are timetabled for Monday afternoon and Tuesday morning. Um, So we will have done a lot of things before that. And many of the things that we do 
Uh, I mean, if you've ever been to any committee meeting, but certainly if you've ever been to a PCC meeting or a Deanery Dalston Synod meeting, there's a lot of things that you just have to do mm. that come up every time that, you know, seem a little bit tedious, um, but they're just there and you have to do that. And I think we've got a number of those things. This time we've got some amending canons and usually that's just a, a thing where a decision has been made um, and then somebody, one of the, the sort of church house staff or lawyers have gone back through other um, previous regulations said, right, so now we need to change the references to a different person in this or a different mm. rule in that. So it's not anything of substance. It's just to make everything um, fit together um, uh, across different things. We have got quite a number of diocesan synod and private members' motions coming mm. up. So we've got uh, some things about uh, funeral fees. I um, spotted that so at the Creme, yes. Absolutely. If uh, a funeral takes place at a crematorium, should the fee that for that, it's only, I think, about £30, uh, should it go to the parish or to the diocese? Well, there used to be a £30 fee that went to the parish, and then that all got transferred to the diocese instead. So it's not a lot of money, but it's quite a big principle. That's right. So there will be, uh, you know, some debate about that. I, I was interested to see there's a diocesan synod motion come from Chelmsford Diocese, suggesting that we might consider putting in a code of conduct mm. for PCCs. And together with a, another private member's motion on bullying by lay officers in the church. And, you know, there is a situation where there's an imbalance of power in that the clergy person, you know, the incumbent is a person of of status and power and is being paid and you know mm. there are certain decisions which only they can make and and so on but also they are subject to potential disciplinary processes indeed if they behave uh, poorly whereas lay people pcc members church wardens organists whoever are are sort of not subject to any disciplinary procedures and if they therefore behave badly and in ways of bullying or harassment or you know things that would be unacceptable in a, a normal workplace for example there's not really very much that you can do about that um no. so i think it's interesting that that seems to be coming in two different ways both in this Darson motion and in the private members motion i think that is becoming increasingly an issue um around the country and I, I think it may be connected to just a general problem in society these days that volunteering people don't have the capacity for it in general that maybe mm. 50 years ago many people did and it has a different sort of feel to it I think um, yeah the, the the kind of people who want to volunteer and why maybe has changed a bit as well. And so then you end up in these situations where it really doesn't go well. And it's very difficult to solve, to resolve that in a local situation. I, th I think that's right, Ros. And there's another reality as well, which is sad, but it is a sign of the times in which we live, is that people will often 
be elected onto PCC, I say often, not very often, but at times people will be elected onto PCCs, almost it would seem with the sole purpose of trying to cause trouble or to try and get rid of the incumbent or to at least make the life of the incumbent so impossible that uh, he or she has to leave. And I, and I think that is an issue and it is being addressed. Another thing, Ros, on all of this, and I know we're going to talk about Synods generally later, but it is worth noting that the things you're discussing are coming up from diocesan synods. And a deanery synod can have something put onto the agenda of a diocesan synod to be um, talked about, and then that can go up to general synod. So it does show that although one has to say the prospect of deanery synods and the rest of it may not be hugely exciting for everyone, nonetheless, nonetheless, they can actually affect the Church of England in quite significant ways. So we would do well to pay attention to them and perhaps maybe even show up. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but the uh, the motion that came uh, from uh, West Bromwich Deanery, which originated in Holy Trinity West Bromwich PCC mm. and some work that their safeguarding officer had done, went all the way through that process from PCC, Deanery Synod, Diocesan Synod, and then um, General Synod, it was able to be uh, added into as an amendment to a motion that had come from elsewhere. So it got dealt with very much more quickly and has already changed the law as a result of that. Yeah, so it it is an important thing. It is something which you know, we, we should pay attention yeah. to. And of course, a PCC can pass a resolution, which can then be taken to the Deanery Synod. So you exactly. know, this, there is, and it does actually happen. That's the thing. There is a, we, a going up and down the chain. We can make a difference. And I think with things where... Uh, you know, it's not a, a partisan issue. It's a, a thing mm. that actually everybody can get around and see these rules don't work because of whatever. Those things really can be sorted out. Um, mm. There's also uh, a whole lot of things where as Synod we're asked to have an opinion um, about land and nature, about the future of work, about biodiversity, about... Um, uh, estates evangelism i mean i think that's a, a thing that we will care about very much is how are we reaching uh council estates those oh i thought of, it was country estates i thought that was for me i, I have two I mean, country we'll estates in my benefits yes we'll we'll <laughs> set you on the the country estates chris but uh i think there is a particular concern for how the church is uh doing uh at reaching out to those very uh poor and deprived communities we heard a little bit about that in the cc podcast a couple of weeks ago, we've also got uh, a thing where we're going to be asked to um, talk about the war in Ukraine and the challenge to international order. Right. And all of those things, they seem a bit pointless because I don't honestly think that whatever General Synod decides about the war in Ukraine is going to have a great impact on Vladimir Putin or, or indeed Zelensky. I, I don't think we're really going to have an impact on that. Why... Why do we have those kind of discussions where, <laughs> where, where we're just um, agreeing that, yes, war is a very bad thing? Well, indeed, I can remember the first synod I went to um, as a member. There was something on poverty. And I have to confess that I had gone out to get a cup of tea uh, whilst the debate was going on. And I rushed back in for the vote. And the, unfortunately, on the screen, they don't put what the motion was. And I thought, well, if, if I press the wrong button here, I might be the only person on General Synod that says, yes, for poverty, I'm all about it. I think 
in my more cynical moments, I kind of feel that it's grandstanding that we in the Church of England are trying to pretend we still have a voice in the nation. And we say all these things and we all know that the Parliament won't really pay much attention to them, let alone Putin or anybody else. So I could be cynical. But what they do actually offer in the current very divided state the Church of England is in, where they do offer something is that there is at least something we can unite around, something we can agree about. And not every speech of General Synod has to be a partisan speech where each side uh, has a pop at the other. Yes, I agree. And I think often in those debates, people are able to speak with specific personal experience and insight to give, you know, sometimes theological weight to these things. Um, And it just gives an opportunity to open up that area for discussion that enriches our understanding of it. And I think, you know, there is sometimes as well that benefit of, those uh, bishops who sit in the House of Lords, for example, being able to go and say, you know, this is what the Church of England mm, thinks, true. you know, to have that kind of weight of synod support around, you know, often these are votes that, that will be passed unanimously or, you know, with very, very little opposition. It's not for the purpose of, as you say, disagreeing, but it, it does air those issues. And I think you're right. It is very good for our collegiality within the synod which is not always evident um to have those things this is very true but and then you get other things which crop up so there's safeguarding um independent safeguarding board all, all that's kind of rumbling on still and that's been an interesting point of unity in synod because um you have the houses of clergy and lay and laity on all sides of the theological spectrum sort of uniting against what is being done centrally on this which is an odd thing so it's not uniting all three houses of synod but it is uniting two of them and i remember that uh, synod in york where we had to suspend the sitting of synod so that certain people could speak and address synod as a whole so it's quite an extraordinary thing where you start to see that these odd alliances on different issues suddenly come together and people with whom you disagree on all sorts of things suddenly you find yourself in the same campism i agree and i think that's a, a really positive uh, thing when you can find somebody who you know you disagree about uh, on, for example, the, the LLF issues, but actually you can really encourage and support each other in some of the other things that, that we're talking about. And you can be friends. And I think that then helps when you get to the discussions about the things where we do disagree, that you have somebody that you respect, that you've heard speak, make, you know, good and, and valid points and, and so on. And so then your level of discourse uh, can be improved. It doesn't always happen. Anyway, so there's all of those kind of things happening. Mm. Uh, as you say, the safeguarding stuff, question time, chancel repair measure. I mean, that'll be fascinating. I've got no three doubt. parish churches with a chancel repair liability on them, so I should be paying close attention. The cathedral have liability of three of my... Uh, clergy who are listening will be pleased to know that there's a private member's motion coming through uh, to restore clergy pensions to a pre-2011 level. I mean, we will see, but I imagine that might get passed and then who knows uh, what will happen there. But obviously the thing that people will be most concerned about is where we're at uh, on the LLF situation. 
Um, as you say, there's a certain amount of chaos at the moment. Uh, bishops appointed, bishops resigned. Um, the paper that's come out, which was a paper, I think, well, I know it was because I was at a meeting with the two bishops when the, when yeah. they were both doing it, when telling us that they exactly they they drafted this paper that was going to come to synod with these commitments, um, uh, and now it it's just in the name of Martin Snow, who's currently the only bishop uh, leading this process. It is a kind of fascinating paper mm. in that it it reveals quite a lot about what has gone on in the last year or so and things that we sort of suspected uh, are now kind of laid bare and we're seeing quite a lot of what has been hidden, uh, what has been misrepresented, what has been ignored by way of General Synod. I know uh, you've seen and I'm going to put a link uh, to this in the blog post. Andrew Goddard has written, a, I think, a mm. really helpful paper exposing some of those issues that are revealed in this paper. Is there anything there that you think, wow, that that is really going to have a big impact on how things go forward? Uh, so the precise question you asked, would it have an impact on things going forward? I'm not sure, because although things may have been laid bare, uh, nonetheless, they did happen, and there's no indication that now things have been laid bare that they'll be undone. If you see what I mean, so in a sense, there is clear a clear desire from the House of Bishops as a body, not individual bishops within it, obviously because many dissent, but uh, uh, from the House of Bishops as a body to try and carry on down this route. But what I found interesting was that they said that any use of Canon B5A, this is around standalone services and that kind of stuff, has a medium to high risk of successful legal challenge. Um, elsewhere, it says a considerable risk of successful legal challenge. So you then ask the question, well, why are we doing this then if it can be challenged? And what are those who do do these services? Are they going to find themselves legally challenged? And so th there are some contradictions uh, which do come up because it's, of this. I thought that was... That was a very fascinating part of the paper where he sort of lays out the options yes. by which standalone services might come to pass. And the first one is by a, a vote under what's known as Canon B2 that would require a two thirds majority of synod in all three houses. And they just don't have that. So that's a non-starter. So then it's all the other options and all of those other options are sort of five or six other ways that it possibly could go through. But all of those carry, as you say, a sort of medium to high risk of legal mm. challenge. And you kind of think, OK, well, I don't know quite the... Yeah, why? why? Yeah. And we weren't given, you know, this became a huge sticking point in November, the legal advice that the House of Bishops have seen, and we're, we're not given it now. But we are told that clearly... The legal advice must be saying you, there's going to be a challenge mm. on this. Almost certainly there'll be a challenge on that. Proceed with caution, one would have thought. And yet there's a lot of language that's around, you know, the, the direction of travel is established. We are going forward. We are moving towards. And, and you kind of think, are we? You know, that direction of travel is very slow, if it's there at all and therefore people who are in favor of 
uh, a sort of revisionist strategy are really angry mm. and yeah. upset because this time last year they mm. thought it was a done deal and nothing has has basically happened since then. The prayers of love and faith have been commended, but in a very limited way. They're really angry because actually direction of travel doesn't really seem to be going anywhere. And it seems to me it would not take a lot for the voting pattern in Synod to change such that, you know, this paper is voted down. Yeah. Um, well, you think that the, uh, the prayers of love and faith themselves passed by two votes in the House of Laity, it only takes, you know, a handful of, uh, on the assumption that, that, that evangelicals aren't happy with this, it is an assumption, but I think a fair one, uh, and will be minded to vote against, you'd only need a, a handful of disgruntled people on the other side of the argument to join you, and it would fail. And kind of then what do we grind to a halt do we just sit tight and wait for the next quinquennium when the votes will become more important who you vote for at general synod what, what do we do right exactly i mean it was it was four votes but that's if two people change their vote that that but you know two people changing their mind in the house of laity is um not beyond uh, imagination Anyway, one of the things we are told in this paper is that this quinquennium will not discuss the issue at all of same-sex marriage happening within the Church of England. That's left for a future quinquennium, potentially, to discuss. Which raises the question, Chris, we're sort of halfway through, slightly more than halfway through uh, this quinquennium. We began in November 2021, uh, so we've had sort of two and a half years um, the next elections will be in 2026. Now, there's a, a hope that a lot of the things that we are talking about, standalone services, uh, also the issue of whether uh, clergy can be in same-sex marriages, civil marriages, um, they're hoping to try and get a lot of that and the pastoral guidance for all of that sorted out in this quinquennium. Mm. Given the the rate of progress so far, that seems very unlikely mm. to me. And certainly, as they've said, that issue of same-sex marriages themselves in the Church of England won't be in this quinquennium. It is not too early to start thinking about the next lot of general synod elections, is no. it? If somebody's listening and they're thinking, gosh, this all seems very important... Could you just um, give some idea of what your experience has been like? You were newly elected in November 2021, as was I. What sort of things has has it involved for you? What, what are your sort of contributions or your areas in which you've found uh, ways to serve? I think I'll, I'll caveat all that follows by, by saying that I am just irritatingly chipper about all things so I, I I'm always seeing every glass of being half full and what's more it's full of lovely claret but I think what I would um, say I my experience was a whole lot more support than I was expecting so you've got groupings on general synod who, who gather together and support each other and those groupings offer tremendous support not only to meet with and to pray with people which is good but also you have people on those groupings who are 
just real experts on synod they're, they're lawyers they understand how these things work and and you might run through the agenda in the morning and somebody in the room will say well actually i've got some experience of that i might be worth saying that if you're going to make a speech and so there's a very strong sense of um of support that you, you're not going to flounder yes it's all alien it's all new it's all bright and shiny but you've got experts around you who help you through so that was I wasn't expecting, I mean, I was aware that there's these groupings, but I wasn't expecting the kind of high level of support at Synod and also the meetings that happen between Synod to brief people. So you're not having to wade through all the paperwork by yourself and try to come to terms with it. I then got, there's a strong sense of collegiality when you're there as well because of that. I then also got more involved. I'm, I was elected to the Archbishop's Council Finance Committee, which is the finance committee of the Archbishop's Council. And I've only been to two or three of those meetings. I wasn't elected that long ago. But that's an interesting group because it's a bit like a diocesan board of finance, but for the church nationally. So you're dealing with all everything because everything in the end has a financial implication. So in terms of having some influence uh, at the core of the church, this for me was was the way which I can do that. And it's nice to be also in a setting where, yes, you've got people from all sides of the debates on all sides of things. Uh, if you ever look at the news reports of General Synod, you see the chap with the bright pink hair. Well, he sits on, on this committee as well. But when you're discussing these other things, you know, you're getting on with people. It's a common purpose you're working towards. So that's been interesting. I've, I've enjoyed... You know, the trips down to London, you know, being back in the back in Anoa as I am on the Welsh marches, it's it's nice to get out and Mary, my wife, comes down with me. And so that's all very good fun. So to be honest, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I found it a positive experience, but I know not all do. No, and but I think it's really helpful to get that sense of there's whatever there are, sort of 450 people or something on hmm. Synod and everyone will have a, a different experience and people serve in very different ways so you know I mostly what I do on synod is sit around getting cross and then give a speech and that's sort of what I do um and then I also try and spend some of my time doing that thing of encouraging others and you know in those sort of individual conversations I spend a lot of time in the tea room uh and and chatting with people there and uh, trying to encourage people when things seem difficult and um you know and i'm i'm not on any general synod subcommittees i'm on the five guiding principles standing commission and many of us on that are mm. on general synod but it's not a general synod committee um but for a lot of people that is the way they serve there's all sorts of different committees where actually if you're not the sort of person who standing up in the the chamber and, and giving a speech where you're going to be timed and if you go over your three minutes by half a second there'll be a buzzing light and all that sort of thing that isn't for everyone but that is not by any means the only way that you can be useful on synod and one of the lovely things about being in some of these uh kind of groups is you get to know the people who are the evangelicals the people who are the the sort of church society types and and then you see one of them, I don't know, in, in a group work session or um, in a fringe meeting or standing up and, and asking a question or a supplementary question uh, or or whatever. And you're something like, oh, OK, isn't it wonderful that the Lord has given us all of these different people, uh, you know, some of whom 
understand the standing orders and many of whom do not and that's fine we don't all have to be that same person you get a real sense of being part of the body I think with people serving with different gifts in different ways um but all working together for the Lord um and I agree I think yeah what I found interesting as well is is it, it is that expertise it's a real education in in seeing these people in all sorts of ways and on um so we've got coming up at this in odd uh, a couple of items on on racial justice and you know my my experience of all of this is absolutely minimal i mean i'm not in a very diverse part of the country here and nor was i raised in a very diverse of the country part of the country uh, much more it is now than it was when i was raised in essex but when you're talking to people who are in these groupings, people that you've learned to, to you know, you, you respect their opinion and stuff, who are from um, an African background or, or wherever it might be, it does challenge your way of just how this is perceived and what you, you know. Then you think, well, gosh, if, if she feels like that, then maybe this is a bigger issue than I perhaps at first would have thought. So that's an interesting part of this as well. It's the because there are many people from outside of England who. Let, um, who come in from outside of England who are sitting on general synod so it's not a uniformly white middle class synod as it would have been say 40-50 years ago there's a real range of people there and that's hugely um, interesting to learn from Absolutely and, and diversity across all different sorts of axes so you know sort of social background and as you say racial background and um, people's professions and all sorts of um different people that you might never come across in in everyday life and you know we're brothers and sisters in the lord and and that unites us together and then we learn from each other in amazing uh kind of ways so um again if somebody is just at this point it's a it's a really early uh point you know the elections aren't for a couple of years mm. Um, if somebody did think, oh, I wonder if maybe that could be something I could do. And, you know, that could be any sort of person listening. It could be somebody who's theologically educated and, and wants to speak into that. But people with a finance background or a legal background, a business background, people uh, who've been involved in the care system or the foster system, people who've been involved in... Uh, safeguarding in schools and you know almost anything mm. you know we we have debates about basically anything you know if you're a tree surgeon you will have useful things to say in synod debates if you're a plumber we had a lengthy and quite hotly contested debate about boilers mm. a couple of Very years important. ago you know so don't think you don't have something to contribute because you do but if you think then, OK, well, maybe I should consider this. What would you recommend, uh, Chris? How would somebody go about um, considering whether this is a thing that's right for them? I think, well, there's a number of options. I mean, you could, you're allowed. You can go to the public gallery and just sit and watch. Um, you know, you can turn up. Uh, you go through bits of security, obviously, because they don't want people throwing things at us. But, you know, you can go up and you can sit in the gallery and you can get a sense of what the debate is like. If that's not feasible then you can also find all of the debates on youtube they, they put the full days up so you could watch some of that to get a sense of what goes on you could pick the day and think right i want to watch that debate if that's then something you want to sort of get involved with then i really think it's it's worth just getting into the synodical system where you are i would 
be prepared to say almost without any doubt that there would be a vacancy for deanery synod from your church because who goes to deanery synods from your churches so out of my uh, four parishes only one sends any reps at all so you could easily get onto your deanery synod get a sense of that you could probably just as easily get onto your diocesan synod to give you a sense of that and I think if you're standing it's helpful to show that you've engaged in your diocese that you have engaged with these things because you are a proper team player within the diocese. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we've said this before, but uh, I just want to reiterate, if you stand for deanery synod, even if you decide, do you know what, this really isn't mm. for me, that's fine. You still have an impact because you will get to elect diocesan synod and Indeed. general synod reps. Yes. So that's a really valuable thing to do even if it turns out you're not really a synod kind of person after all. The other thing to say is if you are elected to general synod, you will automatically be a member of diocesan synod and deanery synod and even your, your local church. The PTC. blessings keep flowing. So, I mean, there's endless ways to serve my diocese. I don't know if they all do this. Really loves to have diocesan synod like the week after general synod when we're all and are most exhausted and tempers are most frayed and you're just like, do we really have to keep doing this? Um, but it, it, I think you're right. I think if people are electing, often when you've got general synod elections, you've got a list of candidates. Most people don't know most of them. But because the people who are doing the electing are deanery synod reps and many of those will be also on diocesan synod, if you're involved in those things and they see that you're a sensible sort of person, they know that, you know, you're reliable and that you're involved, then you're much more likely to get votes um, from people who know that rather than if you're a you know, name they've never come across before. And I think it's worth getting in touch with your Diocesan Evangelical Fellowship as well, your DEF. I mean, one of the the extraordinary things over the past five years has been the re-establishment and the, and the strengthening of the DEFs generally. Uh, and so people there will offer you support. They'll help read through your sort of statement. You have to put out an election statement. They'll read through that. They'll help you with that. So even I talked about the great support at diocese, uh, sorry, at general synod, but there's also now great support in your diocese as well. And so do do make that connection with your DEF. They will be delighted, I say, as a DEF chair, they will be delighted to hear, particularly from lay people who'd want to, to stand. That's absolutely right. And if you're not sure who that is, I mean, you could contact us, but it's C-E-E-C, who are the sort of um, overarching organisation of the DEFs. So, and I think there may still be one or two dioceses that don't have an active DEF, but almost all of them do. The other thing I want to say is, uh, if you do, uh, if you are able to come along and... Um, you know, join in the public gallery and um, just experience something of Synod, do get in touch um, because we'd love to see you there. Um, you know, we could maybe arrange, uh, you know, to meet up over lunch or you could come to maybe to one of our prayer meetings um, or whatever would suit. So we're going to be in London uh, from this Friday until Tuesday. I'm not actually arriving until Saturday, but there will be people around. Um, the dates are published well in advance. This year, we are not anticipating a November meeting. Hooray! Um, I don't think, frankly, we can afford it because it's quite expensive to have an extra synod in the year. So we will be in York in early July 
And then it will be the same again next year, February in London, York in July. Ross, you've just prompted me. One other thing I think I wanted to say for people considering is that your diocese will cover the cost of your accommodation and and all of that. There's a food allowance and all these sorts of things. So it... That does get covered. So you're not going to end up out of pocket um, for all of that. Yes. Well, and also with with respect to lay people, there is a an allowance you can claim for loss of earnings. Um, it will depend who you work for and, and what your organisation is, whether you are able to take unpaid leave for synod and then you claim for loss of earnings. There's a limit on that. I mean, if you're on hundreds of thousands a year, <laughs> the, the loss of yeah. earnings won't, won't cover that. But... There is some uh, contribution for that. Um, and in some cases, people I know end up having to take annual leave for it. So it can be quite costly. Mm. And that's one of the reasons why they're trying to include more weekend options. But obviously, that's complicated. That's not great for clergy. Or so Sabbatarians. Usually. Yeah, well, exactly. So usually it's it's sort of one long weekend in York and a midweek session in mm. London. But things change on that but yes that's right you shouldn't be out of pocket um and there are there are arrangements around um work and so on these days um i don't know whether we have to keep voting on this or whether we finally agreed it permanently but there is a hybrid option Mm. so you can be at home watching on zoom and still be able to vote and indeed speak in the vote from your hot tub that also yeah, exactly. But that also can help if people are struggling to get time off work mm. for for everything. Great. Thanks so much, Chris. Um, we will be back in a couple of weeks telling you how it all went. The podcast will be back next week with a look at something entirely different to take your mind uh, off things. And uh, thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Church Society podcast. You can find the whole podcast archive on our website, churchsociety.org. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your usual podcast app. And we'd love it if you are able to leave a review or give us a rating over there as well. Mm-hmm.